and lover of all things lit, professional reviewer, recommender, book blogger. I am your host, Lloyd Russell, aka The Book Sage, and you're listening to Lit with Lloyd, courtesy of KCAT Radio. Greetings, this is Lloyd Russell on Lit with Lloyd, uh, courtesy of KCAT Radio, and um, our guest author today is Shelly Adina, or is it Charlotte Henry? Or maybe it's Adina Semft. We'll find out why all the names in a minute. But here is a very narrow bio of what Shelley is and does. She is the author of 24 novels published by Harlequin, Warner, and Hachette, and more than a dozen more published by Moonshell Books, Inc., her own independent press. She writes steampunk and contemporary romance as Shelley Adina, classic Regency romance as Charlotte Henry, and Amish women's fiction as Adina Semt. We're going to find out how that happened. Uh, I will tell you that I've known Shelley for a number of years. I've read a number of her books. Uh, she is a, a delight, and we better get going because there is so much to ask her. So let's start with an easy one. What is steampunk? <laughs> Everybody asked me that. It by the way, thank you for having me on oh, the show. Oh, you bet. <laughs> Steampunk is high technology in the Victorian age. So what the Victorians imagined the future would look like. We kind of go retroactively and recreate what they might have imagined. Okay, that's cool. Uh, all right. Tell us about these different genres. Tell us what led you to write Amish women's fiction. Uh, I guess we call that religious fiction. Uh, and how do you determine what you're going to write next? <laughs> <laughs> well, back in the day when I was published by Hachette, I did 15 books with them, and they wanted me to be Shelley Adina because that would put me on the first shelf on the first bay of the bookstore bookshelf. <laughs> and I would be, it's like, you know, AAA lock and key. That's the first thing your eye falls on. So that went for about six books. And so I just kept that name for my steampunk because it was easy. But if you're writing in more than one genre, the Amazon algorithms do not lend themselves to mixing various genres in your also bought ribbon. What they what it's advised these days to do is for authors to, if you're going to change genres, take another name so that the also bots stay what they call pure. And if somebody wants to buy something in that genre, then you rise in the ranks at Amazon because the algorithm thinks that it has shown you the correct thing. Wow. It's got nothing to do with anything except <laughs> the algorithms. <laughs> wow. Okay. So in, you decided you wanted to write in three genres, therefore you needed three different names. Well, my, um, I was still with Hachette and they said, we're looking for an Amish author because all the other inspirational publishers had one or two and they didn't have one. And I'm like, well, she, she, my editor says, you grew up plain. Why aren't you writing Amish? And I'm like, well, uh, <laughs> huh. and then she waved a six figure deal at me and I said, I guess I'm writing Amish. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So explain to us about what plain means. Plain means um, the community 
doesn't participate in typical what they call worldly activities. You dress very modestly. You don't gamble. You don't drink. You don't play cards. You don't play the lottery, that kind of stuff. And so there's a continuum of plainness. And the old order Amish that I write about are right on the sort of far side of the continuum. I was not that far along the continuum when I grew up in a plain church. Did it make it easier for you to write about uh, write Amish fiction? Very much so. The doctrines were very similar. So to get into that headspace of, you know, the woman has her place in the home and the whole concept of um, demut or humility it was easy for me to arrive at when I'm writing about these female characters because I had lived it. Hmm. That's really cool. Uh, all right. So tell us, how many books do you write a year and how do you determine which genre you're going to write in? I do four not four full-length novels of 60 to 70,000 plus two novellas of about mm. 20 to 25,000 per year. So that's what a quarter of a million words a year. Wow. <laughs> but I do this full-time, so it's doable. And as far as where books fall in the production schedule, I usually alternate the the steampunk and the Amish and the regency. So it just depends on so, I don't know, it's hard to say. It's You know, if a reader writes to you and screams, where's the next steampunk book? You go, okay, I guess I'm moving that one into February. Just <laughs> because if one person writes to you, that means 100 people are probably thinking the same thing. Wow. All right, so you've written roughly 40 books at this point? I think I'm on 46 right now. Oh, my gosh. I got to update my, my bio there. Uh, do you know how many you've written in each genre? <laughs> I'd have to think about it for a second, but I, I, I would if we weren't only on the show for half an hour. <laughs> okay. Uh, but at this point, you basically rotate for the most part. Basically, for the most part, I rotate, yeah. Okay. I would think that by the time you got back to a, one of the, you know, was the turn of, of one that you would be looking forward to it because you've had two other mm -hmm. books and genres in between. It's it's kind of a palate cleanser for the Amish because the the steampunk and the and the Regency the language is quite similar, and I did that on purpose. So in the middle is the Amish, and so that kind of divides. It gives my brain a complete holiday, especially since now my new series is about Amish cowboys. So we're talking ranch <laughs> ranching in Montana, which is as far as you can get from steampunk or Regency London. Okay, uh, how how do you research? <laughs> cowboying and ranching in Montana. As it happens, the fire captain at our local fire station is a cattle rancher. And so he invited me down to the ranch and walked me through the process of what they were doing at the time, which was Roundup. And and I also have other friends in the ranching business, <laughs> just completely by coincidence. So exhaustive interviews. I sign up for magazines that cater to that market, like ranchers, to find out what interests them. Um, and feet on the ground. We, my husband and I went to Rexford, Montana in June, and we went to the biggest Amish auction in that corner of the country. And I learned a lot of things about the Amish community there, how they dress, why it's different from the other communities. It was really interesting, and plus, my husband um, bid on a quilt and won the quilt, and I was thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> a byproduct. That's great. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I, I feel a, a, a little bit remiss. I didn't ask you to explain what what the Regency series talks about. The Okay, so the Regency was the period when King George IV went a little bit crazy and his son, the Prince Regent, from 1811 to 1820, took over basically the ruling of the kingdom. And it was kind of a crazy time because he didn't care about ruling the kingdom. He just cared about having a good time. And it's the Jane Austen period with the high-waisted dresses and the comedies of manners. And it's just a delightful world to put your brain in. Is that similar to the Bridgerton yes. time frame? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Julia Quinn. <laughs> uh, okay. So you you're though that series or that that uh, that set of books basically just takes place in a ten-year period. Basically, yeah. And okay. there's many, many more dukes in fiction than there actually were in real life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, you you said that you know you write full time. Mm -hmm. uh, I happen to know that you are an editor. Mm -hmm. uh, do you still do that on the side? It's more of a when I have a client job, I spend my mornings on because it's very left brain. So I spend my mornings on in the left brain and in the afternoons in the right brain. And you're, but you're still doing that somewhat regularly. Mm -hmm, yep. Okay. Uh, and um, congratulations! You just got a PhD. Thank you. Can you explain? How, does that have any connection to your to your uh, writing? It does. It's a the degree is in creative writing, and part of what we had to do is write a sixty thousand word novel and mm -hmm. a thirty thousand word nonfiction. Um, thing explaining <laughs> the decisions you made in your creative writing process. So I had just received, courtesy of my husband, a box of documents, century old, from Holy City. So I did my dissertation on Holy City, California, eight miles south of here. Uh, <laughs> what's it called now? Is it still the same? It, it's called Holy City. If I manage to sell the book, they will probably change the title to goodness knows what. But at the moment, it's just called Holy City. And if you go to RikersHolyCity.com, that's my research website. Wow. Okay. Are, are you done with all of the other publishers? Is everything now going through Moonshells? At the moment, yes. Although with the Holy City book, it's already with my agent. But as far as genre fiction... I believe that I can do better on my own than I could with a publisher at this moment. Okay. We've been told countless times that, um, that when an author actually signs with a publisher, that the publisher makes the decisions, for example, uh, in an ebook, they, they pick the narrator. Um, uh, not ebook. They pick audiobook. the, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. the ebook, they pick the cover and the, and the uh, audiobook, the narrator. Mm -hmm. uh, this is your own publishing company, so mm -hmm. obviously you make all those decisions. I do. What are, are your books in E and audio? And if they're in audio, who narrates? The steampunk books are in audio. Everything is in digital. Everything is in print. But the steampunk books, I began in audio just because I wanted... It's, it's a fun world. And there's an entire demographic of readers that don't read. They listen. And so Fiona Hardingham is the narrator for all of those books. And I think she's up to like 27, 28 completely distinct voices for all the characters. <laughs> she is a marvel. How'd you find her? 
just on the it's called acx.com the sort of self-publishing audio and she, her, she was there for an audition and is the minute she opened her mouth i'm like you sound just like the voices in my head and i hired her <laughs> In fact, she's just working up book number ooh, 16, I think. We're going to we're getting ready to do the Engineer War Venetian Red, the fourth of my steampunk mysteries. Wow. Uh, so will there still be situations then like you just explained where you will give a book to an agent mm -hmm. to go through a publisher? I think so. Was especially for something like this that was sort of an academic project, I was actually thinking of going to a university press maybe or you know one of the literary fiction houses my agent she's she's working on that right now okay <laughs> that's <well>. her job <laughs> <laughs> you're on a need to know basis right yeah got it she'll tell me the list and then she'll yeah, send it out and then and then, and then go away so <laughs> yeah. i can write yeah uh, there is uh, i know there's a very large organization i believe it's national but a big local chapter called Romance Writers of America. Mm -hmm. uh, it is national, I assume? It is national. And um, there's also sort of a, in, in the mystery genre, there's also Sisters in Crime. So they're, they're both sort of female-focused organizations that are really, really good about their teaching organizations. So it's both community and fostering learning about how to make your craft better. Well, I remember from quite a few years ago that I went to one meeting because you were going to be presenting uh, basically some grammar kinds of, mm -hmm. of uh, advice. The rules of revision, I think that talk was. <laughs> yeah, okay. And I believe that there were two men there. One was me. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if that's changed through the years or if it's still a similar uh, ratio. <laughs> it's. I think the ratio is still fairly similar. The the guys who do come though, they're they're focused on putting relationships. They could be doing science fiction, but their focus their focus is to put the relationship in whatever genre they're writing in, and so that's the right place for them. Yeah, they're, they're going to learn how to do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, are there are there uh, awards handed out by this organization? Uh, yes, RWA hands. It used to be called the Rita. When I won it in 2005, it was called the Rita. And now it's called the Vivian after one of the founders, a woman of color. So they, one of the founders was called Vivian Stevens. And the, the award is now named after her. All right. So the award you got, was that from the local chapter or was that a national award? National. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of like getting the Oscar. Yeah. Is it? And, and what's the category? How do they describe it? it, it that particular one was for inspirational fiction. So huh. it was the the best of the year. What's the name? Was it is, was it several books or just one book? It was just the one book. It was called Grounds to Believe, which is a line from the Canadian search warrant. You have to have reasonable and probable grounds to believe that crime has been committed. And it, it was a sort of a cop story. Wow. Set in a plain community. And you won the award as the best of that mm -hmm. category in the in the country. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it was. It, and the, the the award is like 15 inches tall and solid metal. You could really hurt somebody with it if you swung, them at, <laughs> swung it at them. <laughs> and you get to keep it, I assume. I do. It's on my wow. bookshelf. And, and you also were nominated the following year, correct? I was for the sequel. Ah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to be nominated, how many nominees are there? 
the I think there was about nine or ten, and that 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 particular um, category is really large. So it was it was a thrill. Wow! To final is a thrill, and then to hear your name called on the stage is just amazing. Wow! <laughs> so you were at like you were actually at an event where mm -hmm. the not where the 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 awards were. Given, yeah. Given out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It moves around the country. It's in a different place each each year. So yeah. Where were you when you got it? Yeah, this this one happened to be in Reno, I think. <laughs> yeah, the stage was massive. Okay, so even to be nominated is really a big deal. It's a big deal. Wow. You you get a little silver pin and that when you win it, it's a gold pin, but I have two silver pins now. I think that is just the coolest thing. <laughs> okay. This is something I ask every author. Have you been approached by any movie or TV studio about actually having one of your books made into live action stuff? I have not. I had uh, a woman approach me who wanted to do the script that she could pitch to people like Netflix and uh -huh. whatnot, but it didn't go anywhere. It was going to be actually an eight episode series, the steampunk, the Lady of Devices. Yeah. But it, it came to naught, sadly. Well, if it's any consolation, dozens of authors that we've talked to, if not hundreds, have been approached or not. But even the ones that have been approached, and some have come very close, it's really rare that anything actually gets made. Marina Adair, mm -hmm. in, of course, in your area up the hill. Yeah. Uh, I know she's had maybe three movies made by Hallmark. Has she? Yeah. Well done, Marina. Yeah, I know. Isn't that so cool? Wow. Yeah. So, but that's the only author that I know that actually had something that that was made and 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 uh, uh, and and televised or or produced. Actually, Hallmark, the the romance community is totally supportive of Hallmark because what a terrific opportunity not only to get your book published by them, but for them to possibly take it and turn it into a script. So yeah, yeah, yeah we're we're all big fans of Hallmark, <laughs> <laughs> and for good reason. Mm -hmm. Let's let's um let's go back in time. Mm -hmm. How did you get started writing? What 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 prompted that? Some kids just know. And when I was eight, I wrote a little composition at Halloween about a ghost in a graveyard. And my teacher said in red ink at the top, ooh, you have me scared. <laughs> and in my very young mind, it's like, I can change somebody's emotions with something that I wrote. And that was the beginning of it. And you, how old were you? Did I was eight. Wow. Yeah. And so it sort of, after that, I got training. I got a BA in literature. I joined RWA, I got an MA in, in writing popular fiction, then I got a Master of Fine Arts, <laughs> now I have a PhD. Wow. But it's it was like the snowball effect. I wanted to do this, and I knew from a young age that this was what I was gonna, I had to be, you know, an admin, an executive admin to support myself while I got, you know, you do all the querying process and it takes years. Sure. But, but yeah. All right, so let's, let's focus in on that. You've got a book. Mm-hmm. Did you go through the process of getting an agent? Mm -hmm. And how long did it take for you to write that first book and then have an agent signed and then published? Well, the, Malcolm Gladwell <laughs> has this theory that you have to do 10,000 hours to become expert. And with writing, for me, that happened to be true. So there's five books that will never see the light of day. But my <laughs> master's thesis was going to be pitched for Harlequin. 
And it took me two years to write that. And by then I had an agent and she sent it in and they signed me. Wow. And in fact, I think I stood up and told my RWA chapter that if they if nobody bought this book, I was going to quit because this was the best I could do. <laughs> yeah, you know, famous last words. And, but they did buy it. <laughs> and that was that was in it came out in 2003. So it hasn't been all that long ago. And, and how did you end up morphing into two other publishers? I, I wrote seven books for Harlequin, one of which was for their inspirational line. And then I left them and went to Hachette with a better deal. Uh huh. And so that's I did six young adult inspirationals and uh, nine, I think, women's fictions for them, 15 total. And then the, the, you know, the indie revolution happened in 2010. And instead of offering my steampunk series to them, it had been out in the market and 10 publishers turned it down saying, what's steampunk? We don't know how to market it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, for heaven's sakes, I do. And so I took it back and put it out myself. <laughs> and that was the beginning of, of my indie career in 2011. And, and have you had any books published by a... Another publisher since 2011? Yeah, the Amish ones were still coming out. So I was doing both at once. I was what they call a hybrid. Yeah, yeah. For several years. And then the great disappearing button fiasco happened at Amazon when, you know, they were negotiating with a bunch of publishers and they just removed the buy buttons from a whole bunch of books in order to make the Whoa. deal go. Didn't and know that. My book was one of them. And so the sales tanked and the publisher cut me loose. So then I was free to completely indie publish. And I've been happily doing that ever since. Have you had the same agent since uh, mm -hmm. the very first one? No, I've been, I've had, she's my third one and uh -huh. she's by far the best. So yeah, we're still working together. And, and if I have something that's suitable for the markets that she looks for, yeah. then I send it to her. Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, what does your writing week look like other than when you're on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> well mostly all the days look the same i do left brain stuff in the morning so that could be an editing client it could be you know the month end accounting could be putting together graphics for marketing materials that happens in the morning and in the afternoon i do my 2000 words so that's basically the rhythm of my week is made up of days that all look the same. <laughs> but you know, some people is like, they'd be like, oh my gosh, how boring. But to me, it's very satisfying. It's what I really enjoy. It's what I've been working towards to get to this point where I could arrange my schedule in a way that makes me happy. And do you do seven days, basically? Pretty much. If, if there's something I know I need to, you know, sometimes body tells you, get up off the chair and go to the beach or something. So you have to listen. But most, most of the time, I'm happy working. Oh, that's great. If you go on vacation, do you write while you're on vacation? Not as regularly because, you know, you're on vacation to have fun. But <laughs> I do bring my stuff and we have an Airstream and my husband calls it the mobile office. <laughs> yeah. Well, other than, other than you being asked to write Amish fiction... How did you come up with with your with the ideas for the Regency and the, and the steampunk? The steampunk 
I have loved it since, you know, the days of the wild, wild west back in the 60s. James West and Artemis uh -huh. Gordon. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> that got me hooked. And uh. so the sort of the idea of being able to invent whatever you need to accomplish your life's purpose is, is kind of appealing to me. So that's how that kind of got started. It just happened in 2010. And then as far as the Regency, it's I've always loved Jane Austen and I like reading books in that genre. So when, you know, it's a very popular genre, so it wasn't too hard to move my love of reading it into loving writing it. Uh, is steampunk a popular genre? The people who read it are devoted to it, but it's a very small market. Uh -huh. So having other irons in the fire as far as making a living go is how I'm working it right now. Whereas the Amish market is enormous and voracious and you can't feed it enough books. Really? Yeah. And is that is that primarily from within the communities? Oh no, the Amish people don't read them. They don't read them? No. Okay. They're, the demographic is kind of Midwestern over 55 female. Wow. And is it is it by, by scripture? Can they not read your books uh, in, in the Amish community? They, it well, to them, it's laughable how much we get wrong. But, and I have actually been smiled at by very polite Amish folks <laughs> when I'm trying to buy research materials. <laughs> but they just shake their heads and it's like, oh, English people, what are you going to do with them? <laughs> but I do my very, very best to make sure that it's accurate. It's language, doctrine, clothes, customs, as much as I can. Well, I, I think you mentioned to me earlier that that you're thinking of doing your own audiobooks because you you know the you know how how they speak. Right. And the odds of finding a narrator that can actually speak Pennsylvania Dutch are fairly low. So <laughs> I thought, well, why not give it a try? So, you know, a bunch of audio equipment kind of like what I'm sitting in front of came from Amazon the other day and I'm going to give it a try. So you haven't started yet? No, but I took a class as we left brain people tend to do. And I'm gonna, I'm got a mobile table I can roll into my coat closet and that will be my studio. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, okay, so you are writing constantly. Mm -hmm. Do you have early readers? Are you in a writing group, anything like that? I'm in what we call a mastermind group and they, we plot, um, we create plots together. We work up our back cover copy together. If I need a beta read, then one of them will probably put up her hand and say, I'll read it for you. And they're very talented at finding out the spots where, you know, the adventure takes over and the romance falls apart kind of things. So that <laughs> I have to go back and do a rewrite. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I the relationship thread is very important to me. So I don't want to let that drop. And I would imagine that there are some authors that send you their books, uh, early drafts, so mm -hmm. that you can comment. And plus, with your with your uh, uh, background in in writing, I mean, I, you're probably going to be helping them with grammar and, and I, sentence structure and things. Yep, I do my best. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I do some editing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm certainly not professional like you, um, and I don't know if it's true for you, but for me. 
mistakes kind of smack me in the face. Mm -hmm. It's hard not to see them. Yeah, but it doesn't affect my enjoyment of reading the book. Right. Because I'm not concentrating on looking for the errors. They're just coming to me. And I'm still reading as if I were just reading a novel. I have to be, actually be careful. I have a couple of authors who they're so good that I sort of lose track of where the commas go. And I'm like, oh, what happens next? And then I have to <laughs> go back and do it over. <laughs> All right. What is next? Uh, when when we're going to see it? And how can our listeners find you? Okay. The next book is going to be The Amish Cowboy's Baby. And uh -huh. that is in November. And then in February is The Professor War Prussian Blue, the last of my steampunk mysteries. And the, anyone who would like to can go to ShellyAdina.com. Shelly with an E-Y-A-D-I-N-A. <laughs> uh, okay, that sounds great. All right, well, uh, for the last couple of minutes, we're going to just do some quick trivia. <laughs> my uh, favorite. And then we will sign off. Okay. Where the Wild Things Are, of course, is the, my, one of the most iconic children's books of all time. Picture Which I've book. never read. Okay. All right. We, you can fix that. It, it won't take you long. <laughs> okay. But here's the thing. Marie Sendak originally called it Where the Wild Horses Are. And the only reason that it didn't become that is because he couldn't draw a horse. <laughs> so That who, makes perfect sense. Yeah. Who, who would have thunk that? Um, to Kill a Mockingbird was on the New York Times bestseller list for 98 consecutive weeks and never hit number one. <laughs> oh my. Isn't that something? Yes. Okay, this is this is kind of a fun one for me. J.D. Salinger wrote A Catcher in the Rye in 1951, and in 1953, he basically left society and went into Connecticut, I think he was. He kind of became a recluse, uh, a la Howard Hughes. But a local author, Joyce Maynard, was after her freshman year of college in 1972, she ended up having an affair with him for 11 months. She wrote, she wrote about it in a tell-all in 1998 and said some things about Salinger that maybe big Salinger fans don't want to know. Ooh. <laughs> so uh, it, it was it was not it was definitely not complimentary to him at all. So uh, all right, that's all the trivia I've got. Having you here was such a treat. I don't know if we got to all of it because you're you're so multidimensional and you're and you're so talented in so many things, but hopefully we got through the 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 the, the, the biggest part. part of it. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I really want to thank you for, for coming on. Thanks again to KCAT for, for hosting this. And uh, we're just thrilled to be here. So thanks we'll, so we'll, much. We'll sign off now. You just heard Lit with Lloyd here on KCAT Radio. Explore all our KCAT original programming at kcat.org slash radio. Thank you.